Alright, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, and the message is entitled, Transformed Fathers. The family order that God created by design was and is still for the purpose of efficiency and, and productivity. Nothing has changed. God created Adam first, the head of the creation. He created Eve, secondly, to complete the man. And then the children came from both of them, having an example of authority and submission as God intended it. Nothing has ever changed regarding God. Societies, cultures, man's wisdom changes things from God. Remember, when they knew God, they didn't want to glorify him as God, but they changed the natural use of the woman, the man. They began to worship the creature more than the creator. They changed everything. We think we're so smart, we change things and we end up with a mess. Where we follow God's word and we trust him for it, though we are fallen and things will happen, they are minimized and we are the better for it. And so the wisdom is, is being obedient to God's word. The headship of the man taught in scripture is never as a tyrant or a despot, but a loving type of Christ to the church. This is very, very clear. And there's always the accusation by those in the world to say, well, Christians, they want to keep the woman down and this and that. Give me an example anywhere in history where the gospel is gone. Any country, any part of history where they were oppressed, whether it be by religion, by oppression, by communism, whatever it is, and the gospel went in, what did it do for those people? It raised the woman up. It protected the woman. It solidified the home. It gave hope. Not the opposite. And so the charges are totally bogus by the world and by the secular individuals. Such is not the case. So... Paul is dealing with the home and the various roles of each person. He goes through the family here, and that's the context. But the context is that they are transformed. So I want you to keep that in mind as we move through it, okay? Uh, God never asks you to do anything that, that he doesn't prepare you for. And so they're living according to Christ, bound by his word, filled with his spirit, able to deny the old life, the sin nature, and to please God. Never to perfection, but we can hit the bullseye now as Christians. Okay, A Christian can only say, I will not. A Christian can never say, I cannot. If you're a Christian, God is giving you a new mind, a new spirit, and a new nature. And what he asks and commands of you, he is able to do through you. If you will deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Simple. It really brings us to the end of ourselves. But because we are human beings, we try to rationalize things away and point fingers. And none of that works out with God. Nothing at all. And so, let's look at the role of fathers who are the parental authority in the Christian home. Evident of three factors here in chapter 3, verse 21 of Colossians. Let me read here. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The three factors regarding the father's role as his authority in the home is as follows. First, you have the individual identity. Second, we have the individual responsibility. And then thirdly, we have the individual reason given. So he begins with the individual identity. One word, fathers. This is the topic. Paul has addressed 
um, and was addressing the fathers about their homes. Remember that, uh, we'll look at a little bit into this, the culture was a Roman world, and there's a lot of subcultures under that. The order of the fathers is, is the same as in the sister epistle, the Ephesians. If you're in our study of the Ephesians in depth study right now on Thursdays, in chapter 6 or 4, we're coming up to it. And so the two epistles were written at the same time. They deal basically with the same thing, but from different perspectives. And remember that Paul wrote these things in his first prison epistle. And I'm so glad that God put Paul in prison. He said he's there by appointment. And he wrote these things, and they're so, such a gem for the church for every generation, because God's word doesn't change. The men being instructed were saved and obeying the biblical standard for life and practice. Now, the particular word used by Paul here, fathers, which is the word P-A-T-E-R, pater, refers to the male ancestor. Uh, the word is used of God and earthly fathers 417 times in the New Testament. The title focuses on respect and honor of the father by the children. The title focuses on the responsibility and accountability of the father towards God and his children. So the father is responsible to God, and the children honor the father, but the man honors his heavenly father by being obedient and submissive to him. Of the 118 times the word patter appears in the New Testament, it's translated parents only once for the father and mother of Moses in Hebrews 11.23. Of the 118 times, only one time. The usual word for parents is in the previous verse here of Colossians, and it's the word gonius in the Greek, different from pater. The same pattern and word order follows in the Ephesian epistle because of the sister epistle in Ephesians 6.1. Most commentators interpret the word pater here, which is translated fathers, in our text to refer to parents. And that's how they interpret it. But I believe Paul is referring to the fathers alone by the following reasons. Okay, First, only one of the 118 times the word is translated parents. If only one, if I only had this reason... What would make you choose parents when 117 times it's translated father? It makes no sense. Secondly, the text in Ephesians uses a specific term for parents. The one that I mentioned, gonius. For father, pater, and for mother, meter. So it uses the individual name for a father and mother, and it uses a different word when both of them are combined. Thirdly, Paul then addressed the father's pater here to not provoke the children to wrath in Ephesians 6, 4. So if Paul was trying to indicate both parents, he would have used gonius, as I said, for both. But he doesn't. And he makes a distinction between the word for father and the word for mother in Ephesians. So I have to compare and contrast I feel the proper translation here is to the father alone. Now, the father is the high priest of the home, as you know, responsible to set the standard of parenting. He's the head of the creation. The husband and father is the head of the home. And the authority figure, Ephesians 5.23, is very, very clear. But again, it's never out of some despot, arrogant 
lordship. Never. Yet the mutual responsibility and accountability by the father and the mother as parents to the children is very, very clear. It's just that he's focusing on the one right now. Now, the wife and mother represents the delegated authority from the father, Ephesians 5.24. So, everything the mother does, she has the delegated authority from her head, the husband. Okay? So, when he's not around, it's just like he's commanded it. Now, children are more prone to disobey mothers than fathers. Okay? It's a simple, uh, you know, uh, genetic thing of male and female. All right? And if, if, most, most ministries are run by women especially children's ministry. Our ministries are all run by men. They're women who serve, but they're under a man. And when a man walks in a classroom, the children act a little different. It's just that simple. Okay? And God has done that purposely. Now, though the father is the head of the home, the responsibility and privilege of parenting, again, is corporate. A beautiful balance God has designated that the child needs to grow, develop, and mature physically, morally, and spiritually, having the proper example of the divine roles ascribed by God. It's healthy for children to see male, female, father, mother. The coordinating working of the two, according to God, has done it. It brings order. It brings effectiveness. It brings real peace in the home. Respect, order. Absolutely. Doesn't mean your kids are, are not um, rebellious at times. The problem with your kids are your kids. They're just like you. Sinners can only produce little sinners. Simple. Okay? So well, the thing that transformed you was the Word of God. The same thing was going to transform them through your delegated authority. Now, the authority is never of the child. This is where the modern-day society has erred tremendously. If you look at many of the um, advertisement and commercials on TV or wherever, it's the parents who are the stupid ones. It's the children who are instructing the parents. They know better. The genre has been set. The indoctrination has been marching for 40 years progressively. We are at an apex right now. Okay? The children are the wisest. They're the ones that have to remind the parents about this or that or whatever. It's insulting. I want to put my foot through my television. But it would cost me money, so I don't. Um, Paul was addressing fathers from different cultural backgrounds. That's another thing we have to keep in mind as we read the context. Some were from the Jewish influence. As you know, mothers care for the children until the age of 12 years old. Uh, but that was still under the authority of the father. And once the child is, was a son of 13, he has a bar mitzvah. Now he's responsible to the law and towards God to keep that law. The girls were always under the complete authority of the father in the Jewish home. And rebellious children were not tolerated. They were stoned to death. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. There were no, no juvenile delinquency halls or anything like that. There was no problem. Okay? And uh, when there's consequences, there's obedience. Simple. It just seems that the only thing that the human race uh, understands is pain, huh? It's the ultimate obedience, isn't it? One way or the other. We are so rebellious. We are so self-willed. We just think we're the wisest that, that, that if there's not order, consensus by social conscience and the home and everything else, everything falls apart. 
Now, um, others were from the Greek culture. And again, he's addressing all of these. These are the society that he's living in. The child was raised in a very liberal home, much like today's society. And the Greek society was very sexually immoral. The fathers were not as good as example. And there many times they were as perverted as the gods they worshipped. Now, the Greek cultures were corrupted the Roman Empire. Greek culture came from Alexander the Great. They Hellenized the whole world. Rome embraced other cultures. And because it embraced the Greek culture and Hellenized the whole empire, it became a party animal. The Epicurean concept, you know, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And as it kept being more permeated by the Greek uh, culture, then they ended up much like we're ending up. By entitlements to all the people that demand their rights and feeding them. By entertainments and games. There was hardly any time people go to work, so many holidays. And then disorder, it just falls apart from within. And we see our own society in the same way in America today. Now, there were still others who were from the Roman culture, and the homes were very decadent for the most part. Fathers did not demonstrate much family love or affection, uh, and that we can see that in our homes today because of all the progressivism that has taken place in our educational system and in our whole society. The uh, parental relationship was not the best example or um, responsible as parents, very much like our society today. And so you've got these three cultures within the Roman Empire. You've got the Jews, you've got the Greek, and you've got the Romans. Paul is addressing all of them. He was addressing these fathers on one common denominator. As all the previous individuals he deals with this section, they were now Christians. So what Paul is addressing to them, this is a command from God, and God is able to do it through them. No one can say, well, that's just too tough, man. They're able to do it. So that's why it's important for you to sit down, open the Bible, and read it so that you know exactly what God requires of you. In regards of your situation, where you're at, you are able to please God and do what he called you to do. He didn't say it'd be easy. Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation be a good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? He said if they did this to me as they persecuted and crucified him, they're going to do it to you, right? So we have to get away from the um, cultural uh, uh, false picture that Christianity is pie in the sky. It only goes in America, not anywhere else in the world. And so we have to get a biblical perspective. They had been uh, born again through the gospel, as chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says. They had been raised in Christ Jesus, having a new potential, chapter 3, verse 1. They were to set their minds on things above and not things of the earth, having a new worldview of Colossians 3, 2. They were to put to death their members on the earth, the works of the flesh, having a new power now, chapter 3, verse 5, 8 and 9. And they were to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created them having a new mind in Colossians 3.10. They were the elect of God and they were to be merciful, kind, forgiving, loving as Jesus had been to them a new example in Colossians 3.12 and 14. They were to pursue the peace of Christ in order to rule their hearts 
through the study of the God's word, growing, developing, maturing spiritually, having a new priority in chapter 3, 15 through 16. They were to do all this, be it in word and deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, having a new passion, Colossians 1, 17. This is what they are now. God, Paul, could, Paul and God could have never required this of them before, but now they're Christians. Their children varied in ages, young, children, teens, adults. They're all included here. And they encompass every economic level as he's addressing them. He didn't have a different standard for poor people, for middle class, or for upper class. This is a straight standard for any person who calls himself a Christian. I think the best illustration for this is the gospel that it transcends culture. It holds the highest authority over culture, being the only and ultimate authority over the life of the believer. Regardless of what generation read this text, they had the same obligation, the same capability to obey it. Regardless of whether they lived in a communist country, a socialist country, a democratic country, or a republic. It didn't make any difference. The requirement's the same. So you never want to allow the world to set the, uh, the agenda or the culture to set the agenda. The scripture set the agenda for the believer all the time. Nothing has changed, in other words, in 1,500 years from God's perspective. The father was still the head of the home who was commanded to teach his children, being the high priest of the home. So when Paul said this, in God's mind, in God's worldview, same marching orders, nothing has changed. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, meaning the word of God. You shall talk of them when they are sitting in the house. When you walk by the way, when you, sit, lie, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, meaning the phylacteries. And you shall put the frontlet between your eyes, phylacteries. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your home, the masusa, on your gates. And you touch it and you kiss it as you go out. The word of God. It's to be the foundation of your home in every way. Solomon, in his introduction of the Proverbs, stated they are for the instruction of young persons. He says, the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instructions of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Proverbs 1, 1 through 4. This is what your children need, gentlemen. There's a problem. They come from your loins. They're just like you, a sinner. Solomon poured out his heart to his son. Listen to him. My son, if you receive my words... And treasure my commandments within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and, and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you will cry out for discretion and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. Notice he pleads with the son and he points his son to his own relationship with God. 
You can do all you want as a father, but your child can disobey, right? But we're going to deal with it. You do have authority while he's in your home. Solomon taught his children in Proverbs 4, 1 through 4. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Now, good doctrine. Not today we are allowed. Well, you know, let's not fight about doctrine. Let's just love one another. No, no, no. Fight about doctrine. Doctrine is what defines what kind of love we're talking about. If you drop doctrine, your love becomes corrupted, emotional, perverted, cultural. And this is what's going on too much in the emerging church today. They're forsaking doctrine. Doctrine keeps you on the love of God, which is non-compromising. It's faithful completely. So here, for I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, remember this is Solomon. David was his father, tender and the only one in his sight of my mother. He also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Because remember, David was a good king, but a terrible father. He never disciplined his children. He brought up Solomon a little different. Solomon warns in Proverbs 5, 1 through 5, his children regarding immorality. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lead your, lend your ear to my understanding that you may um, preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold on hell. Too many fathers don't warn their sons about sexual corruption, only their daughters. It's for both of them. Both of them. Do you think your son's going to be better off? No. No one's better off who experiences sex before marriage. God is sufficient for it, but no one's better off. <laughs> and so he, he, he instructs his children. The individual identity of the fathers, the head of the home, the high priest. Again, it's a corporate raising, but the authority and the responsibility falls on the father. Too many fathers give that down to the mother. That's not to be. Too many homes are run by mothers, not fathers. God told Israel, I've made you the head. I've made your enemies the tail. And then he said, because you have not obeyed me, I've made you the tail and them the head. Okay? Too many men are the tail and not the head. That's no good. Ministries often are controlled by women. That's bad. Women can be used and are used in this ministry in every place, but not as heads. They're protected by the head. Very important. So he moves on to the individual responsibility. Do not provoke your children. Now remember, this is a, Ephesians, Colossians are side by side, but they have a different perspective, different focus. But remember, this is the choosing of specific things by the Spirit of God. This is not Paul saying, well, you know, I'll see what these guys, I remember I was there, this guy didn't kind of, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit him with this one. No, no. This is God's choosing. He could have chosen many different things. He's very specific in his choosing here. 
Paul gave the command, do not provoke. The word means here to stir up or to excite or to stimulate. The command is in the imperative present active. The caution against provoking is to be guarded continually, constantly, as a father, that I don't provoke my children. What's the implication? That as a sinner, as a fallen man, that's a tendency that I have sometimes, naturally, right? The word appears one of the time in the positive for the Corinthians to provoke zeal in their giving financially to the Lord out of love, not compulsion. Second Corinthians 9.2. That's the only other time it appears. Now, fathers are not to provoke in the negative way. They're not to irritate the child to desperation. That desperation leads to anger. Ephesians um, 6.4 says, um, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. So addressing the same kind of context, he picks something different there by the Spirit of God. The word wrath there, orge, describes excitement of the mind with violent passion and vengeance. It's used for the wrath of God against the all ungodly people in Romans 1.18. Fathers are to provoke, notice, children in a positive way to enhance the relationship between the child and themselves. Uh, it comes naturally to an extent, but with our fallen nature, we become very impatient, very self-centered, and, you know, we do dumb things. To encourage a child in their daily development and progress of learning. This takes time, as we're going to see. Our, our, our busy schedules, our, our modern-day society of craziness, uh, sometimes robs us of these things. Fathers are to have in mind the kind of rearing up of their children by and in the authority of Jesus. Make note of that. Not merely cultivating their mind intellectually, lest they be brilliantly prepared for hell. Not merely shaping their moral or ethical character as a foundation for life as they exalt themselves above others. Not only through reproof and punishment, but in physical discipline and restrictions. And if that's the only case, then they're learning what to do and what not to do only. But they're lost. So the whole goal is salvation and honor and glory to God. I do what I do towards my children, not simply that I want them to be Christians, but I do it primarily because God commands me. And you can do all that God tells you and be faithful in every way as a parent, mother, and father, and you can have the child of the devil because they have a free will. God's not going to hold you responsible if you're holding them accountable, responsible, bringing consequences. God's going to be okay with you. But if your child's a child of the devil because you have disobeyed God, God will get you. You will have to give an account. It's just that clear. All must be under the authority of Jesus, bringing them up in the nurture and admonishing of the Lord for their own personal relationship. Um, they ultimately have to give an account to God. Now, notice Paul gave the specific directive for the fathers of their own children here. Um, the word children is the same as in verse 20, technon, a child conceived by 
a husband and wife. The sex or age is um, uh, not indicated by the word. Uh, the word appears um, two times in the epistle, verse 20 and 21. And the word appears 99 times in the New Testament. Now, the article being present denotes a child growing up, uh, still living in the home. So, uh, to an extent, it's one who's under authority of the father. Um, once your children are grown up, they're living on their own, you don't have authority over them, okay? Um, particularly, they're married, okay? But we're talking about a child in the home and uh, dependent on the parent and under the authority of the parent. But even if your child is 33 years old, if he is living in your home, now you can't tell him that come in at 10 because it's, it's you know, curfew time. But, but he does have to honor and respect the home. If he doesn't, then he can't live with me. Are we clear on that? Okay? Now, the fathers commanded by Paul here were for the most part citizens of Rome that we've gone over. And uh, with abusive or absolute power and authority over their children um, that the law gave to them. In other words, it was abusive to an extent because as long as the father was alive, he could put his child to death. If the father was 90 years old, his son was 70, he didn't like something he did, he could put him to death. That's crazy. So our society hasn't gotten as bad as Rome yet. But we're headed there. We're, we're giving it a shot. Um, Paul was telling fathers to submit to the higher power, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not culture or tradition. He's talking to men who used to be unsaved, that fit either into the Jewish worldview, the Greek worldview, or the Roman worldview, or within the combination of those. And he's giving them the command here is so outlandish that it is the same today. And people were, oh, no, are you, are you crazy? You guys are, you know, you Puritans, what, you Stone Age? That's how outlandish it is that people think about it today. So Paul expected them to rule their homes by the love and the grace of God through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The fathers were to understand that children belong to them, not Rome. Wow, what a novel idea. They had the God-given right to raise their children. They had the God-given authority to discipline their children. They had the God-given responsibility and accountability to bring their children up in the Lord. We have a parallel today that there are laws even on the books, even in effect today, that they take certain authorities away from us as parents. Who am I to obey? I obey God. I don't obey man when it comes to those things. It's real simple. I think of David with Absalom, Eli with his sons, perfect example of provoking their children to wrath because they never confronted their children. Eli allowed his sons to lay with the women at the temple and to rip off the offerings. David never confronted Absalom or other children when he raped one of his sisters and then Absalom wanted to kill him and he did David was a horrible parent. There's a lot of pastors that are horrible parents. Elders. Christians. Oh, but they're serving the God all over the place. And the angels throw up. Solomon um, 
wrote much on instructing youth and discipline. Listen carefully. The possible potential for children, and understand why I labeled it. Listen to it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Proverbs 22, 6. Many of you have heard that, and they teach us an absolute promise. If your child has come to cry, don't worry about it. He's out there, he's, and they give stupid things like, oh, he's sowing his oats. What a slap that parent. Are you kidding me? There's no guarantee. That's not a guarantee that he's coming back. And they always use the prodigal son. Listen to me. The prodigal son is the third parable, the climax parable of three parables. The first parable, the lost sheep. Second parable, the lost coin. Third parable, prodigal son. Listen to the words of the father to the son that was in the home about the son that left and came back. Son, your brother was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was never born again. Don't put this verse and the prodigal together. They're both out of context. Your child, he must repent on his own. There's no guarantee that if he comes to the Lord and walks away that he's coming back. That's not what the scripture declares. And people do that because they lean to the Calvinist persuasion. One saved, always saved, right? No matter what you do. I don't think so. So the possible potential for children, he gives that proverb. Then comes the practice of children. Listen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of correction will drive it from, from, far from him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Now, he's not talking about beating them with a two by four. God is giving you a nice padded area, well developed. You apply the board of, uh, of education to the seat of understanding. Okay? It's simple. And you take them beyond the angry page and in the, in the level that they hate you. You take them to the level where I'm never going to do this again. You'd be surprised how much that high end can take. All right? You were there before. You know. So we're not talking about child abuse. We're not talking you don't smack them. You don't kick them. You don't elbow them. You tell him to go up to his room, and you'll be up there in a second. And you talk to God and cool off before you go up there. So when you discipline your child, you're disciplined for what he did, not for what you're mad at. And after you do, you ask him, does he understand what's happening? And then you take the course of action that the Lord leads you. And then once it's over, you come back afterwards, because he's going to think you're the worst parent when you get done with him. Then you come back and you ask him, if he understood what you did, and if he understands what you did and he tells you, then you pray with him. You say, son, I love you. This is done. Never mentioned again. Simple. That's what God would have us do. That's what God does to you, right? Same thing. Proverbs twenty three twenty four says, here's the reward. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Then there's the choice of the parents. The rod of rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. Wow. So you have to do what God commands you to do in obedience to God because you love God. And you're doing it in hope that it blesses your child, but your, cho- your child has a choice on whether he's going to obey or not. Okay? Simple.
You're not responsible for your child's decision, but you are responsible for handling the disobedience while he's in your home. All right? You can't ignore it. And it falls first on the head, then on the mother who is delegated when she's around. Now, some ways fathers can provoke their children to frustration and anger or rebellion are many, but let me give you some. Overprotecting them or left to themselves, both extremes. Not listening to them, being too negative, fault-finding, neglecting them. Expecting too much from them, comparing them or setting boundaries um, or applying discipline with um, misproportioned consequences. In other words, if he's playing ball in the front yard and the ball goes through the eight-inch pane window, you know, you don't put him on restriction for a year, you know. You may say you're not going out for a week, play ball or whatever, and you, by the way, you're going to have to go mow lawn and help your mom pay for that window, all right? So he learns responsibility and consequences. Simple. Um, Overpunishing them, being too inconsistent, never encouraging them, um, abusing them physically, better yet verbally, favoring one over the other, never showing them physical love and making fun of them. I hope you hug your kids. I hope you kiss your kids. I don't care how old they are. My, my son's 38 years old. I can see him. I can give him a kiss. He's my son. You know, you're, you're affectionate with them and everything else. And, and your daughters particularly, that, they, that you love them. Fathers, they, they know you're there for them. Simple. Seeing the best in everybody's children except your own. Displaying patience with other children and not your own. Denying them time while giving others all the time. Taking time and spending money on yourself but not on their mom and them. They pick up quick. Kids are... They, they, they catch it. They, they know. Children are a gift from God, according to the scriptures we are told. Listen to... Um, Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like, er- like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children in one's, of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. That's, that's Fernando. And they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Arrows. Have you ever thought of your children as arrows? Who would dare go target shooting with a bow and arrow with bent arrows. Why even aim? Never going to hit. Now your children come in crooked. You know why? Because you and your wife are crooked. You're sinners. So you have to bang them from this side, bang them from this side, and hopefully they keep straight. Now by the time they get out of the house, they're straight. But it's through the word of God, through the example, through prayer. Children. And children's children, grandchildren, are the crown of old men. And the glory of children are their fathers, Proverbs 17, 6. Now, if you're going to be a good parent, then you're going to be a great-grandparent. But if you're not a good parent, you're going to be a rotten grandparent. You know why? Because you're going to regret what you didn't do. You're going to try to make it up with your grandkids and mess them all up. Are we clear on this? Too many parents are being grandparents today. You shouldn't be raising your kids kids. Now, there are times when you have to step in because they're in drugs and stuff like that. But how many parents are raising their grandkids as parents because they want to have all the luxuries or whatever it is? 
Raise your own brats. I already raised you. I want to be the best grandparent. I'm not a parent. I will not be a parent. It's simple. Today, children are aborted, abandoned, abused, neglected. But that is not a reason to interfere with the responsible parents who want to raise their children according to God, as so often the state wants to do. And so they use the uh, exception and the abusive case to just rule everybody. It's an excuse to take away our freedom. Simple. Happens in Rome, happens here, happens in every generation, in every place. No different. So, there's to be a beautiful, growing, developing relationship between the father and the child as they see his godly role, his example, love to his wife, to them, hard work, all he does that enhances the love of each other. So the individual responsibility of fathers is to not provoke their children. Thirdly, he finishes with the individual reason, lest they become discouraged. Out of all things he chose, he chose this to the Colossians. Paul provides the reason for the imperative command, lest they be discouraged. And the word discouraged means to lose heart, uh, to be dispirited or broken in spirit. The word appears this one time only in the New Testament. The idea is that of taking away hope or potential. When children are encouraged and they're directed, they have vision, they have hope. When you quench it, they become crushed. Fathers are to be the example of a godly parent seeking the good of the child, looking to the Lord, asking God for wisdom, praying over them. Always sharing with them their need of Jesus and dependency. Reminding them of their own sin nature and others. I do that as a grandfather all the time. Pray for my grandkids and remind them. You know, it's important. Being an example. Now Paul indicated, notice, the discouragement of children is a process. Um, time is a great factor. Parents can deal with their children very stern and harsh, being out of control all the time, intimidating and filling the child with fear and anger. If that's the usual norm, the way things are dealt with. Yelling, throwing things or whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't happen to any one of us. We all lose our minds sometimes. Are you kidding me? Time spent builds a loving relationship that can and will be able to receive correction. When there's love, correction will come. It'll be received. Physical abuse causes injury and emotional abuse is not taught in the Bible. That is completely a false charge towards Christians. If you deal with your child always in an angry, harsh, physical manner, you will break his or her spirit. You will crush the child. Words are very important. If you say you're going to do something, gentlemen, you better follow up. You see, your children believe you're spiritual. <laughs> Don't disappoint them. Do not be inconsistent. Actions must be with the proper attitude also. If there is to be punishment, make sure the punishment again fits the offense. 
If you think you're doing what you're doing simply out of duty, they're the first ones to know that you don't want to be doing it. Kids are smart. If there is to be corporate punishment, make sure you're not angry again, as I said earlier. Your attitude is right. You give that time. You come with the right attitude. And then you return to affirm your love and to move on. Or you will break the child's spirit. There must be attention, communication, love, and prayer for a father to be an example. That your children know that you're in the Word of God, man. That you're praying, that you go to church, that you come. They see you come home. They see you deal with things biblically. They see you praying. You don't just pray, you know, when you, when you eat, but there's always something. When you go to bed, when whatever it is. When we take my mom home, she has... Um, Dementia and Alzheimer, I, we have her in a home with four six ladies, and I, when I pick her up, every time I pick her up, walk in the door, and I pray for her before she goes to bed, and I don't care who the uh, person taking care of them is there. I pray, and I pray over her, and I pray over the house, and that's the way it is. You know, with my grandchildren or whatever it is, I'm at a restaurant or whatever it is, or I'm talking to somebody, and I'm in the mall, and they, and they're Christians, and I bump into them, they say, this, I, I, I know them with all, I pray for them right there. People don't like it, tough. I could care less. What are you going to do about it? It doesn't matter to me. I'm not bound by the world. Um, so, all this takes constant vigilance, study of the Word of God, prayer walking in the spirit to expect unreasonable demands that would have the child lose heart is wrong um, don't exasperate them know your children they're different their limitations their potentials cultivate encourage them make sure that you commend your child instead of always expressing a their inability to please or whatever it may be. And there are some difficult children. There are some children that, you know, you say, you want a piece of me? They say, yeah. <laughs> it's just the way they are. They are, I mean, they're just, you know, they're probably just like you. Fathers, the greatest way you can um, encourage your children is to spend time with them. And for there to be quality time, there must be quantity time so when you're with them be with them put the phone down put the electronic gadgets away and them too and look face to face talk interact and enjoy each other people don't do that today even christians father perhaps are the ones most prone to discourage their children. Perhaps because they're not around the child as much as the mother. So they're caught up with the work, this and that, and the things they have to do, and, you know, they've got things on their mind, but that's no excuse. They're at times more impatient with the children. They have higher expectation for the children to achieve. They can be too strict in terms of the privileges for the children. And there's caution, and the privileges are different male and female because there's a greater danger for the female. So those are just common sense things, but there has to be that wisdom behind it. Um, being consistent in their promises, 
They can be too harsh with their words or discipline as men. They can attempt to live their life dream through their child. Um, they almost made it to the pros in baseball, and by God, this child is going to play pro ball, whether he likes it or not. How often we see that. Mothers, uh, for the most part, are more patient and compassionate, but they still can discourage the children. Moms could use threats constantly or nagging. Wait till your dad gets home. And so dad is the bad guy and, you know, and it doesn't help to always hang that over them. Sometimes it's good. And you don't have to be angry. Say, so, you know, just wait till your dad gets home. Oh, no, mom. <laughs> no, no, you're going to get it. Ladies, please promise your husband you are the biggest snitch in town. If your children know that they can move you emotionally, they will divide you and your husband. Never let those little beggars do that. Okay? Ever. Mom can belittle the children, telling them they're dumb, bad, useless. She spends all the time with them, right? Go crazy sometimes. And though you may have a difficult child that can drive you out of your mind, you must take a breath, talk to God, Draw from his wisdom, give you words, so you don't break your, spirit, your child's spirit. Very important. Moms can compare children, demanding and demeaning towards the child. Mom and dad, make sure you discipline your children. And when you do so, do it privately, even from the other children, not in front of them. One-on-one. On one. God does the same with you, right? Don't give threats. Give promises to your children. Um, they'll respond a little better. Very, very important. And so parenting is not easy. But one of the greatest ways uh, a father can encourage his children is by humbling himself before his child. Um, by telling them they're sorry when they're wrong. Ooh. As you're raising your child, fathers, and your other children, and you fly off the handle, and you know you just have, you've been fed up, things have been going wrong, and all of a sudden you just jump at them or whatever, and they just quiet and maybe kind of crush, and, and that should crush you right away. And you should be the first to say, I'm sorry, Johnny, I was completely wrong. Listen, I've had all kinds of things going on this week. It's still no excuse, and I just took it out on you. Will you please forgive me? And when they're little guys, you get on your knees, you get on their level. And they're there with their eyes all watery and their lip turned up. And what do they say when you ask them? No way, Jack! No, they don't say that. <laughs> they say, oh, that, and they just love you. You have just taught your son the most important lesson in life, to humble himself. It's to learn it from you, Dad. No one else. Wow. What a great potential we have in Christ Jesus. But life costs us, doesn't it? Listen, you pay up front and you pay at the end. What do you want to pay? 
You can go to the store and fill up that basket all you want. You've got to go through the counter. You're not even walking out the door. You've got to pay for it. The individual reason for fathers not to provoke their children is lest they become discouraged. Now you can walk out of here and say, man, what a bummer. I didn't go to church today. Or you can say, man, what an incredible potential I have in Christ Jesus. What an incredible influence I have over my children. What an incredible responsibility I have towards God, the church, my family, and society, and the world. Wow. The role of fathers in the Christian home in view of parental authority for the children is paramount, evident by these three factors. The individual identity is fathers. He's dealing specifically with fathers. The individual responsibility of fathers is to not provoke their children. Real clear and simple. And the individual reason for fathers not to provoke their children is lest they become discouraged. We want the best for our children. Nothing but the best. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your grace. I thank you for the godly men of this chapel, Lord. Your goodness to them and how you've turned them around, how you've called them out of darkness into light, how you equipped them to be those godly husbands and fathers. And I thank you for them, Lord, how they affect the church. What an example they are to all of us in ministry here on staff, Lord. We thank you for them. Father, go before them, continue to direct and guide them as they seek you. And Lord, just bless them in their homes. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. God died for you because he loves you. He made his son sin for you, who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteous of God in him. And the Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness of your sin and it comes through Jesus Christ. That's God's grace. If you call upon him, he will forgive you. He will make you a new creature, his son or daughter. And he will give to you an incredible new nature to be able to do exactly what we're talking about here. It comes by grace through faith. So if you're here over the internet, you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord to be born again. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.